Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? And welcome to Patriot Day, a very special show on September 11th. Today we'll talk about what honoring 9-11 requires, Islamic ter- terror thwarted, Islamization not thwarted, John Bolton out, Taliban in, and finally, the North Carolina election victory and the black vote. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk, and I hope that all of you are enjoying a day which you spent some time honoring and remembering September 11th, 18 years ago today, the attack in America by Islamic jihadists on America's home, on our home soil and here in America. I want to say that I have spent time today, had an early morning speech, I've read many articles, seen pictures and all the videos that cause all of us to tear up. But I often say, and I want to just say it again, it matters how we honor 9-11. It's one thing to honor 9-11 by, of course, remembering uh, the innocent lives lost, people on the planes, the passengers, people in the buildings, people on the ground uh, at the Pentagon. It's also wonderful and important to honor the people who rushed in to try to save people, the fire departments, the police, the emergency responders, so many innocent lives lost that day. But to really honor their memory and to give them the just recognition and honoring they deserve, what we have to do is remember why 9-11 happened. It matters to understand why 9-11 happened. It's not enough to say, well, we know that these list of people were the terrorists who were on those planes that got hijacked that day and they were the problem. They were a huge problem. They were evil, horrible people. But the problem wasn't just those people. It was the sponsors of terrorism behind them, various Islamic majority countries, various wealthy Islamic uh, terrorists getting behind this effort. It's, and, and an even bigger point is it's important to understand the ideology, the thinking that drove those terrorists to kill all those innocent Americans that day. Because the enemy we face is not just those terrorists or specific people we can name or countries like Iran and others that back and support terrorism. The enemy we face is the conquest ideology of Islam, jihadist Islam. That is the ideology that drives these people and that must be exposed as our real enemy, as an evil in today's world, as an evil to be denounced the same way all of us would denounce Nazism, we would denounce white supremacism, black nationalism, any evil ideology, we need to also apply that ideology to jihadist Islam. We cannot fail to do that because just is the same way just catching one person who's a white supremacist doesn't solve the problem because there's another person who may take up and embrace that ideology. Our mission in America to preserve this country, to honor this country, to protect this country, is to identify those kinds of ideologies that would destroy our country. And jihadist Islam, conquest Islam is one of them. I'm going to make this caveat one time in this show. I am talking about the ideology of Islam 
and the bad actors who embraced and violent who embraced violent jihad engage in conquest Islam. I am not talking about every single Muslim in the world or every single Muslim in America. I'm not talking about every person who embraces Islam. I'm talking about the ideology and the millions and millions and millions of Muslims in this world driven by that ideology to engage in jihad. Since 9-11 happened, we're gonna, we're gonna talk today about how we're doing as a nation, as a country. We all kind of watched in 9-11 in shock and horror and couldn't believe what was happening to our country. But many of us after that time decided to figure it out, to try to understand a little bit better what it is that drove these people to fly those planes into buildings and to kill thousands of innocent Americans. What drove them to do that? We came to understand the conquest ideology, the jihadist ideology of Islam more than we ever had before. For many of us, we had no familiarity with Islam up until 9-11. But I wanna make this point about it's not people, but it is the ideology and the people who will embrace the ideology. And the other point that's important to understand in America is, and around the world, is that jihad can take the form or the shape of violent attack, the goal or mission to instill fear in the hearts of people by violent, horrible conduct. So we just surrender to it. We say, any, tell us anything we can do to make this stop. Whatever it is, we don't want you to keep killing our people. That kind of violent jihad is happening around the world, still is happening today and happening in America. But the other aspect of this that's even more insidious, pervasive and unseen is the concept of cultural or civilizational jihad. The idea that jihad, holy war to force Islam on the rest of the world, that's what jihad is, holy war to force Islam on the rest of the world, is not just conducted by violence, it's actually conducted also and in fact, more effectively in some cases, through the cultural and civilizational manipulation, the, will, the effort and determination to send a message to host countries, to Christian, Judeo-Christian countries, to Western civilization countries, that slowly but surely we will succumb to Islam's threats. We will succumb to Islam and we will decide to be submissive to Islam. And I made this point this morning in my speech, I'll say it again. Islam means submission. The whole idea of Islam is that everyone must submit to Allah. And that is what you do when you join the religion of Islam, you submit to Allah. But the mission written into the founding of Islam in the Quran, in the Hadith, in writings that loyal and devout Muslims around the world read and hear every day is the absolute duty to engage in holy war, to bring the world into submission to Islam. That's the mission that we are fighting. That is the ideology we must understand because until we get that clear that that is the ideology we're fighting, we'll continue to have one incident after the next and we'll isolate and respond to one problem and try to fix that problem and another problem and try to fix that. We can't fix Jihad Islam, conquest Islam. We can't change it overnight, but we can begin by pointing out and helping more and more Americans understand, especially our elected officials understand that we there's a problem in the world with respect to this ongoing conquest of the world by jihadist islam and there must be a response that is both physical when needed fighting back but also cultural and in our society in our in our western civilization that resists that speaks up that says no we are not going to give in to this submission effort by the jihadists 
in this world. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I want to turn and talk about uh, Islamic terror thwarted and really give some credit to uh, rather amazing uh, things happening. Um, and, you know, we don't read about these all the time. And you may not realize that ever since 9-11, we Americans have been more alert to the threat of radical Islam. We've been more alert to it in our country. And there have been many jihadist attack attempts in America that were uncovered ahead of time through the wonderful work by our national law enforcement, by FBI, by local police departments and sheriff's departments, there have been horrific planned violent jihadist attacks, fortunately due, due to the wonderful work of the FBI and others, uncovered before they happened and the perpetrators arrested. I've counted 44 since 9-11, 44 major jihadist attacks planned on our soil caught ahead of time by the authorities. I'll just mention a couple of them, but there, there are literally at least 44 radically horrific violent jihadist attacks planned by people acting on the teachings of Islam in this country. Uh, there was a man arrested uh, and accused of giving Al-Qaeda aid uh, and try, attempting to destroy the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, 11 members of the Virginia Jihad arrested and accused of training for holy war around the globe. Security in the U.S. was put on high alert after a plot to destroy the New York, Stakes, New York Stock Exchange and other financial institutions in New Jersey and Washington surface. That was in 2004. There was a 2006 effort, an FBI effort about a jihadist uh, camp, uh, a camp in a jihadist camp in Pakistan that a father and his son were lying in America were lying about their involvement in it. Seven men arrested in 2006 after allegedly plotting to bomb Sears Tower in the FBI offices. Also 2006, a man arrested after allegedly attempting to bomb New York and New Jersey subway tunnels and flood the financial district. I could read all of these instances to you for the rest of the show. I'm making the point there were terrible jihadist attack attempts in our country since 9-11 and only due to the amazing commitment and hard work of the FBI, local police, local sheriff's offices were those attacks thwarted. Another way in which I want to just mention two great examples of times we have managed to thwart Islamic jihadist attacks in this country. One is just this year, in I think July or August of this year, the FBI exposed two Indiana, the state of Indiana brothers, uh, named Moyad Danan and Mahad and Mahdi Danan of Fishers, Indiana, who were involved with manufacturing arms for ISIS, trying to help ISIS by manufacturing arms here and sending them over to ISIS. These are people living on American soil. Important to understand, these people will do these things, these kinds of things go on and on, and thank goodness we have the FBI and the, um, and, and the other uh, law enforcement agencies going after them. But I go back to my first five point. You can't solve the problem of jihadist Islam just because you thwart these people, just because you fortunately caught these people before they did something horrible. It's great that we caught them before they did anything bad, because some of them we didn't catch. Some of them are, continue to be loose or, or they have already engaged in these kind of attacks, but we did thwart some of them, and I'm very, very glad about that. I want to talk, though, what we haven't done. We have not in this country, we have, so... We've done a great job in America thwarting terror attacks. We have many, you know, we can say, look what we did. We stopped this one. It was a great thing. We've also, though, in our country, 
failed to move forward with the more important idea of fighting Islamization in America. We have not thwarted Islamization. We have not thwarted, which is the cultural or civilizational jihad, the slow push to silence criticism of Islam, the slow push to contort and twist America's values and ideas so that we are unknowingly becoming submissive to Islam. Just this morning, in fact, just today before I left the house, I got an email on an email list I'm on that related to an incident today in Minnesota. There was an effort by a, a Baptist church in Minneapolis to host two speakers to talk about ongoing Islamization in America, to come and talk about not speculation, not name calling, not saying bad, you know, not being engaging in taunting, but laying out for people interested in knowing that there, is, there are Islamization efforts ongoing in this country. This Baptist church agreed to host these two speakers. One of them I happen to know from various events I've gone to, but in any case, there was a pastor of this church, a Baptist pastor, who gave into the pressure of Islamization, gave into the pressure of local groups, CARE was probably involved, and other organizations, other Islamist organizations that are basically saying to America, you're not allowed to talk about the problem. You can't talk about the problem. We're not going to let you have these speakers come to your church through a combination of threats, embarrassment, ridicule, this pastor said, as of this morning or late last night, okay, never mind, I won't hold it, we'll cancel the event. Now, what other religion in this country do you know that is able to shut down discussion by other people about their faith? What other group in this country has that ability? But when I talk about Islamization, this is a successful Islamization effort by radical Muslims who, saying, who are saying essentially, no one in America can tell the truth about Islam. No one can come here and tell the people who want to hear the story, who are asking to know the story, no one's allowed to hear it because we decided they cannot. This particular instance was Bloomfield Hills Baptist Church. It was a one sentence email, uh, yeah, on Monday evening, canceling uh, the two day um, program. It was supposed to be called 9-11 Forgotten is Michigan, I'm sorry, I said Minnesota, it's Michigan. Is Michigan Surrendering to Islam? It was a two-day program and uh, canceled by the church uh, because the pastor said, he basically gave a statement to the media a couple days ago saying Islam is a growing threat in the United States of America. We don't hate Muslims. We hate the ideology they're identified with. However, because of pressure from Islamic groups, the pastor canceled the organization. Other examples of the idea that Islamization is not yet thwarted in America by a landslide. I wanted to mention this, um, this uh, you remember last year, there was, a, I think it was in August of 2018, there was a terror training camp that, was, that came to the attention of the officials. It was 2018, it was in New Mexico. It involved, uh, whatever it was, 11 or 13 adults, five children, and there had been local people calling the FBI saying, there's something really wrong going on out here in New Mexico. You gotta come out here. We hear gunfire all the time. Finally, these, the people, the neighbors videotaping finally got the FBI to come out. This was a jihadist training camp, a jihadist training camp. The adults at the camp were training to commit terror attacks in this country. The children at the camp were being trained to commit terror attacks in schools. This took numerous attempts by these locals to get the officials to even come out and look at it. But here's the next thing I want to tell you. The FBI has acknowledged there are jihadi training camps all over America. 
ponder that, including in the gray state of Texas from where this, broad, where this broadcast is being done. But there are jihadi training camps. The FBI knows about them. The group responsible, uh, Muslims of America, are saying, yeah, we have about 22 of them. They acknowledge they have 22 jihadi training camps on the ground in America, and we are not able to simply shut them down. We have to worry about freedom of religion. They haven't broken a law yet. You're allowed to fire guns. You're allowed to you know, have a camp. You're allowed to be out in the middle of nowhere. You're allowed to live out there if you'd like to. So all these freedoms we have cause us to be unable to act rationally and get after these jihadi training camps. And, just, and so they're training for terror on our soil using, taking advantage of the freedom we Americans guarantee everyone, and especially the protection we provide for the freedom of religion. 22 jihadi training camps in America, and there is a movement behind them, a radical movement within the Middle East to support this and uh, money coming here, and we can't seem to do a darn thing about it. Another example of Islamization not yet thwarted. I mentioned before in the show how often Saudi Arabia how much money Saudi Arabia spends in America, spends money in America helping to fund the building of mosques and Islamic centers. Saudi Arabia, one of the most extreme, extreme Islamic countries in the world. You know, other religions aren't free to be there. They still impose Sharia law. They still cut off people's hands and feet for crimes as criminal punishment. I mean, if you, I don't even read to you sometimes on this show, the grotesque punishment still legal in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a huge source of spending money around the world spreading Islamization, spreading Islam, this whole spread of Islam, this conquest ideology, this desire to bring submission to Islam. Saudi Arabia spends millions of dollars building mosques here, sending reading materials, sending training materials, teaching materials in these mosques, sometimes not in English, into Islamic schools. Also, the country of Qatar, Q-A-T-A-R, Qatar, spends money here too. We have Qatar's money and resources coming to American school classrooms. I don't think that they are telling children in public schools about what jihad really is, what Sharia really is, but they're spending money Islamizing America. And we are not alert yet to the idea that maybe we ought to say, you know, public universities, public schools cannot receive money or aid or even mosques in America. We can, we have a lot of options if we're willing to get tough about this. Why should mosques in America be able to receive money from foreign sources? Maybe you say, okay, then none of the churches are fine. But this idea of money flowing to Islamic organizations, uh, Islamic centers, and we just can't do a darn thing about it, is, it, it just can't be right. I'll tell you, recently in Washington, uh, there was an effort in, um, by uh, Chuck Grassley, Senator Grassley, where he said, basically, we need to take a close look at these Confucius Institutes on college campuses. Confucius Institutes were something China implemented. China said, hey, we're going to send money to America. We're going to help Americans understand, the, you know, build great relations and understanding between China and America. Isn't this beautiful? So they put in Confucius Institutes. Finally, America's waking up saying, wait a minute, this is just communist propaganda. We are letting you come to our universities in the guise of Confucius Institutes, and you are spreading communism in our country, which is antithetical to America's freedom-based society. Yet that is exactly what uh, they're happening. So Senator Grassley needs to get on the idea. As a matter of fact, now looking at Confucius Institutes, 
why don't we look at all the, the uh, organizations on college campuses around this country, the Islamic studies departments, the Islamic, in fact, most of the major and very high end, you know, the very fancy up, uh, colleges in this country, the Ivy League types have Islamic centers, Islamic study, Islamic this and that, all of it or much of it funded by Saudi Arabia. Now, they, I don't think when Saudi Arabia is putting Islamic institutes, they're letting people know how evil and barbaric and dark ages Sharia is. They're not telling them that. They're not acknowledging that Islam has a conquest ideology written into the founding of Islam. They're not telling them that either. And so in America, we are kind of agreeing to be sitting ducks unless we're willing to say no more. Can't keep sending this stuff here. Um, I mentioned a show last week, I think it was, I talked about Islam a little bit and the Thomas More Law Center had uncovered doctor, uh, indoctrination of public school teachers in Michigan a two-day mandatory course before school started this year for public school teachers in a particular district in Michigan it was two days of Islamist indoctrination the public school didn't want to let the Thomas More Law Center know what was being taught. They had to file a Freedom of Information Act request to get it. And you're, you're hearing, this is again through Islamization, a slow, insidious push by the jihadist mindset, the cultural jihad that's going to get public school teachers in America tuned into Islamic indoctrination. Just simply unacceptable. Last example I want to give, I mentioned him on my show before, but Brad Anderson, another example of Islamization, we're not meeting the challenge yet. Brad Anderson, former CEO of Best Buy, also such a successful and stellar guy, he sat on the board of the Minnesota Public Radio and of General Mills and of the Mayo Clinic. In 2016, he wrote a check, you know, he's, these people of that wealth give, write checks all the time, you know, and so he's asked, can you support some um, education cause? He said, sure, so he writes a check to some education cause. Didn't really know what it was, but sounded good, you know, something about quality education. Turns out that organization did an ad during the 2016 presidential elections in which they raised the issue of the Islamization of public schools and said, you know what, this isn't, this isn't too great. We're getting Islamic doctrine brought to public schools. Why are we agreeing this? It wasn't the greatest ad made ever, but that was the point of it. He, Brad Anderson, had no idea what the money was going to go for. But some Islamist organization in Washington goes through tax records, goes to see who donated to the group that put that ad out. And through Islamization, cultural pressure, cultural jihad, they forced him out of his job and all of those board positions. And let me rephrase that. They didn't force him. They made the effort to force him. But all those organizations... Everything he was involved in, his job as CEO of Best Buy, his place on the board of Minnesota Public Radio and General Mills and the Mayo Clinic, that is an example. Their reaction to the push by these Islamists to say, oh, okay, sorry, he insulted Islam, we'll get rid of him, don't worry. That is submission. This is what the jihadists are looking for. They're looking to make you surrender and say, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, this is terrible. We would never, ever, ever put anything out there that in the slightest insulted Islam. There's no reason we take that position. There's no reason we act like we can't, can't stand up for ourselves and say, hey, you know, you didn't like the ad, make your own. He's our guy. We like him. We don't ever stand up. We don't stand up. One last story I'll tell you, and the very wonderful Matt, I believe, has a picture I sent him of this young lady, but talking about Islamization in this country. In the Boston Marathon bombing, the two brothers who were involved were members of this mosque in Boston, Islamic Society Mosque. 
And that, that mosque is a very radical mosque. In fact, its founder has gone to prison over uh, his jihadist intents. I want to just show you the face of this young lady who was, I mean, okay, could you please look at her sweet face? That young lady went to this, um, this mosque in Boston, same one where the uh, brothers, the Sarnoff brothers went, who ended up uh, doing the Boston Marathon bombing. She is so brilliant. She was an MIT scientist. So she's pretty, she's smart, she's happily living in America, or appears happily living in America, and she was arrested, prosecuted, and convicted for her role in perpetrating a chemical attack on New York City, trying to release lethal chemical attack on our largest city in the country. That little face right there. And the reason I wanna show her face, and I'll talk about it in a moment is, this is when I talk about the danger is not each individual. The danger is the ideology itself. It is the ideology of Islam that says you must seek to bring all the world to submission to Islam. You must engage in holy war. Now, I don't know how she came to America, you know, determined to do that. If she got those ideas from the mosque she went to, the mosque is filled with really bad actors, including the Boston Marathon people. But the point is, it's not enough to catch the people and prosecute and convict. What we need to do is isolate the ideology. We have to understand the level of evil in the ideology. And again, I'll say, I said I was going to say it once, I'll say it again. I do not mean every Muslim. I do believe there are Muslims in America who came here because they were the victims of jihad in the various countries they came from. They were trying to escape that. They are not engaged in this conduct. And if that is really true, if the Muslims who come to America and they don't want anything to do with jihad and they would never agree to holy war and they don't, they're not part of wanting to bring America into submission, they should be just as as determined as you and I and every American is to keep radical Islamization from happening in America. They should be as determined as we are because they are going to be protected by our willingness to stand up against the people who would commit these horrific acts. But we have in America, to wrap up this segment, we have in America, we have Islamization ongo ongoing in many, many aspects. I'm telling you, tip of the iceberg level stories, not yet thwarted. It's not enough to thwart the attacks is not enough to arrest the bad guys. The ultimate goal is to raise public understanding of the level and depth of the problem, problem caused by the teachings within Islam and by the unwillingness of many people and imams, Islamic centers, Islamic schools to stand up firmly and say, hey, we, we can't do this stuff anymore. It's the unwillingness of them to say that. You know, we, we're, we're gonna move in the modern world. Now they have a struggle because it is, you know, it is punishable by death to question within Islam, to question the teachings of Islam, to question Muhammad, to question Islamic authorities. You can be put to death for that. And so it's a dangerous thing they're in. Not really our fault, but a dangerous place that they're in to challenge Islam's teachings. But we know to protect America, we have to be willing to identify the problem. It's not just people. It is the conquest ideology, the Islamic jihadist mindset. That is the enemy and it must be identified and it must be, we must understand it is not just a few people in some dark cave in Pakistan somewhere. It is an ideology embraced by millions and millions and millions of followers of Islam around the world. Understanding that, 
telling your friends that, that is honoring 9-11. Next thing I want to talk about, um, there was a kind of a big announcement out in Washington uh, that John Bolton uh, was, well, John Bolton says he resigned and uh, President Trump says he let him go. But John Bolton, let me just bring it here the positive way, uh, John Bolton is no longer our national security advisor. I don't really like that there are conflicting stories. You know, John Bolton says he let President Trump know that he would like to step down as national security advisor. And uh, Trump said, we'll talk about it tomorrow. President Trump said, I told him I had to let him go. Lots of people in our administration disagreed with him. For whatever reason, John Bolton is out. President Trump is going to announce a new national security advisor next week. But the reason I want to talk about him out and Taliban in is this. Some of you, and I've gotten some notes from some of you, don't like John Bolton very much. I happen to really like him. I'm not saying that every bit of advice he ever gave was the perfect advice, but I will say John Bolton understands the nature of the threat against America. He understands the threat of radical Islam. He understands what jihadist Islam would do. He knows Islam is a conquest ideology. So he is on top of those facts. It may cause him to advocate for more aggressive military action than, than some people want, and that's fine. One thing President Trump ran on, and I agreed with him, we can't be around the world all day long trying to suppress every wrongdoer, trying to you know, police the world and root out all evil in the world. We, you know, we, we can't do that. And so Trump is right about that. You know, We have to assess how successful we've been in our military adventures relating to uh, Islamic terror, and so you know, he decides Bolton is out. They apparently were particularly in conflict, though, about the question of what to do about the Taliban. And uh, so, as you likely know, and that right now, America is in negotiations with the Taliban, in negotiations with the Taliban to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan. The no negotiations are occurring in the country of Qatar. Q-A-T-A-R, Cutter, Dohan Cutter. I don't know if my wonderful producer, Matt the Wonderful, was able to find a picture of the Taliban Five, but these Taliban Five, if you have it, these gentlemen were, I shouldn't call them that, these men, these are the Taliban Five. They were the ones that we released from Gitmo in order to get back Bergdahl, our American soldier who went AWOL, and, uh, and we, we traded these five terrorists gave him back to the Taliban to get Bergdahl back. These five that you're staring at, those faces, were moved by the Taliban in November of last year into the political office of the Taliban in Dohan, Qatar. I want you to think about that dynamic. This is America, pretty much surrendering. We're not saying surrendering, we're saying withdrawing. We're withdrawing our troops. We're recognizing we're not working in Afghanistan. We're not making progress. We've lost too many precious young lives, with which I agree. So now we're negotiating with the Taliban to get out of Afghanistan. The Taliban is rubbing our noses in it, sticking it in our face. For the Taliban to bring those five into the political office of the Taliban in Dohan, Qatar, which is where the negotiations between America and the Taliban are happening. Negotiations, now I don't know if those five are sitting at the negotiating table right across from America's negotiators, but this is a total affront, an intentional mockery of America by the Taliban. This is a, 
we got you, you're losing, you're moving out, you're getting out of here. Now, this going back to Bolton, John Bolton was very vociferous in saying that we should not in America, he didn't like the idea of withdrawing from Afghanistan, I guess you can go both ways on that, but he also was not, he did not at all agree with the idea that whoever had this crazy idea in the Trump administration of inviting the Taliban to Camp David. People, the Taliban is, they represent among, sadly, dozens of other horrific Islamic groups in this world. They represent extreme conquest Islam. Taliban was the one in Afghanistan, wouldn't let girls go to school, and were keeping girls home. They engaged in just horrific, repressive violence in Afghanistan. They were apparently were coddling Al-Qaeda, which is why we went after them. Al-Qaeda attacked us on September 11th, so we go after them. The Taliban are pure evil, pure evil. And so John Bolton said, I don't think it's such a swell idea. I don't really know why, President Trump, we ought to be having the Taliban come to Camp David. Now, President Trump, you know, so in the midst of this discussion about whether the Taliban should get to be in Camp David, we have, of course, another uh, attack in Kabul. Another bomb goes off in Kabul by the Taliban. And then we also had a rocket hit Americans, uh, an American um, center over there at the same, the next day, today, in, is, or I guess yesterday. And the point is, the Taliban isn't slightly surrendering. They're not... They may be saying, okay, we're going to agree to certain terms, America. Okay, we won't do this, won't do that. But Taliban has won this battle against America. And if this were a battle just over who gets to control Afghanistan, then America would say, you know what? We don't want to control Afghanistan. You know, let, let it, you guys can fight it out. By the way, the Afghani government is not even part of these negotiations. Did you realize that? The, the Afghani government still controls the majority of the districts in Afghanistan. The Taliban controls some districts and some are uncontrolled by anybody, they're up for grabs. But we're in these negotiations with the Taliban, the terror group Taliban. They, the Taliban, won't let the Afghani government even be part of the negotiations. We're negotiating terms of our surrender. We're trying to save face and say, well, yeah, but we really mean it. You better not, you know, harbor terrorists, whatever we're saying. The Taliban, as John Bolton well knows, does not care what is said in the negotiations. They won't care what they promise to. They don't care what they commit to. All they want is American troops out of the way for their conquest over all of Afghanistan. That's all the Taliban wants. So once you recognize that motive, you can still say, okay, fine, let them have it. Let the Taliban have Afghanistan. But you have to go, I'm gonna go back to my first five point. It's not just the individual people and not even the individual players. The bigger point is the ideology, what the Taliban wants. If there ever was a you know epitome of a picture of the perfect example of a truly extremist group who is trying to impose Islam by force, impose Islam as a means of submission, it is the Taliban. And so we're not just surrendering the territory of Afghanistan, we're surrendering, we're surrendering that we cannot stop that ideology from spreading. We're surrendering that we cannot seem to stand up against the evil of this, of Islamic conquest. It's not a minor point. I am not disagreeing necessarily with removing our troops from Afghanistan. I want people 
surrounding President Trump who understand the nature of the evil of conquest Islam, jihadist Islam. That's what's needed. If Bolton's not the one, they whatever reason they can't work together, I'm sorry to hear that because I kind of like him. But, you know, he may, he may have too strong a personality. Maybe Bolton and Trump butt heads. I don't know. Or maybe, you know, President Trump feels like he can't move forward with his campaign promise to try to extract us from situations around the world that we can't win. And that's a very noble goal, too. But the idea of remembering and honoring September 11th has to include honoring the idea that Islamic Jihad is a long-term mission. Conquest Islam was set into play when Islam was formed, when Muhammad came up with this religion. Jihadist conquest has happened in this world for 1400 years since the founding of Islam. We just happened to live in this era, happened to be watching this episode, but it has been going on relentlessly since the founding of Islam. If you weren't listening to the show the day I had Raymond Ibrahim on, I remember the date, but you can find it on our website or on YouTube, wherever you're watching the show. Raymond Ibrahim, I-B-R-A-H-I-M, who is, uh, who is Arabic, uh, he's American, he's, uh, I believe his parents are from Turkey, but he reads Arabic and English and writes fluently Arabic and English, and he actually wrote the most brilliant book, Sword and Scimitar, laying out the history of Islamic conquest from the time of Muhammad until today. Getting the bigger picture in mind, we are not just experiencing in America and around the world the reaction of Islamic groups in this world to, you know, some latest offense by oil companies or Western civilization. We are simply watching today. This is this era's episode of the same story going on and on since the founding of Islam. I want people around President Trump who understand that who understand it's not a minor thing to surrender to the Taliban. It's not a minor thing to say, okay, you're right, we can't fight against the jihadists because as they always say, they will be back. The last story I wanna to hit today, and this was actually a good news story, it's actually a great news story. This has to go with North Carolina. Uh, you probably know yesterday, North Carolina had two special elections for seats in the US Congress. And one of them was in a fairly heavily Republican district, and so they were expected to win, and they did. Uh, so the, one of them was a great win. It's just a Republican for Republican. But the other seat was called, was uh, the number of it was North Carolina 9. And basically that's just for, in Congress, we have all these representatives of various states, and in every state they divide up the state by congressional district number. So wherever you live in America, you're in some congressional district. And so the congressional district in North Carolina that was up yesterday was, they call it CD9, Congressional District 9. The beauty and the great thing about that was this. This was an election occurred, obviously, at an unusual time. There was an election in 2018 the Republican won, the North Carolina um, Elections Commission, whatever they call their department there, determined that there had been fraud. And I don't know the details of the fraud, but in any case, they set aside the election, they demanded a special election. They called back the guy who won, he dropped out, they had a new election. And the fraud was alleged to have happened on the Republican side. So the Democrats smell blood in the water, they're thinking, oh, this is great, we're gonna get this seat now, people are gonna be mad, these Republicans. So the Democrats spent millions and millions and millions of dollars, far more than the Republicans spent, to get a Democrat to represent 
CD9 in North Carolina. The Republicans put up a guy named Dan Bishop. Dan Bishop ran his race uh, to, to win this seat in Congress. Yesterday, President Trump went down to North Carolina and held a big rally, you know, all the kind of rallies he has, people waiting in line two days to get in and really did a big pitch for uh, this race and so for Dan Bishop and for CD9. So the good news is that the uh, CD, the, the Republican won. That's the first bit of good news. The second bit of good news is the Democrats far outspent the Republicans. So this was very disheartening to them. They thought they could win this district based on the fact that many voters rightly would, be ha would have been upset about what, whatever the voter fraud issue was, which I don't know. But the other great piece of news about it, and I just can't, I just think this is so wonderful. In that district, okay, districts include often many counties. Districts don't necessarily overlap, you know, neatly over every county. So you can have a, a congressional district that has pieces of different counties. But Cumberland County, Cumberland County was in this district, and Cumberland County um, is, I think, is 35% black. They went for the Democrat in the race in 2018, so just you know last year, in this special election held yesterday, that district, 35% Democrat, went for the Republican. It's a sign that this Blexit effort to point out to black voters in this country, the Democrat party is really never helping you. They just say they'll help you, they're not helping you. Maybe, just maybe, that is taking hold. There's a whole lot of, of other stories about that, but I need to turn to, uh, as we close out the show today, I love to tell you why in the stories I choose uh, to cover, I always choose them with the larger mission, the larger goal to say and to give examples of the idea that America is important. It's important for the world, for America to be strong, to hold on to our founding ideals of personal liberty, all the things laid out in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. I do this show to talk about the issues of the day in the larger context of speaking up to defend the extraordinary, unique greatness of America. And so at the end of the show, I tell you every story, I tell you why it matters to you. And we had the wonderful Matt. Okay, I had to show you this. Look, I want you, I don't know if you can read that tweet, but this is, we talk about why it matters, what 9-11 requires. The New York Times put out a tweet. This is their tweet today on 9-11. 18 years have passed since airplanes took aim and brought down the World Trade Center. Today, families will once again gather and grieve at the site where more than 2,000 people died. Okay, the airplanes didn't fly themselves. This is the New York Times. They are very much wrapped up in the left-wing complete embrace of Islamization, complete submission to Islamization. They don't dare say in a tweet who was flying those planes. Islamic jihadists were flying those planes, in case you didn't know. Important to understand the enemy and say it. Airplanes did not take aim. Number two, honoring 9-11, why it matters. It is great that there are 44 known major Islamic terrorist attacks in America that were thwarted just since 9-11. Bad? Not all have been thwarted in America or in the rest of the world. This Islamic Jihad mission goes on and on. In America, Boston Marathon bombers, Orlando nightclub, San Bernardino, Fort Hood shooting, Little Rock and Chattanooga military recruiting centers, and more. The other parts, rest of the world, Paris, Nice, Berlin, Brussels, London, Manchester, Copenhagen, Stockholm, Ottawa, Sydney, Barcelona. There are Islamic terror attacks happening all over the world. We're not safe just because we finally got past 
And last point, the FBI says there are at least 22 known Islamic terrorist training camps in America. We have not thwarted those threats yet. America must come up the learning curve on this Islamic, Islamic threat soon. Next one on John Bolton. Bolton in, Tal- Bolton out, Taliban in. John Bolton is known as a hardliner in dealing with known enemies of America and understanding the ideology of our enemies who include China, Iran, North Korea, jihadist Islam, and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Trump, President Trump, whom I am extremely supportive of, is an extraordinary deal maker. But deal making with the Taliban must take into account their unrelenting jihadist ideology. It's dangerous for America to make deals with ideological enemies like the Taliban, especially when the Taliban is not surrendering. The choice to replace Bolton, maybe they'll get a great replacement, but it's enormously significant in our continuing ability to defend our country. Last one, North Carolina special election. The Democrats outspend the GOP by millions. Trump did a rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina on Monday. And obviously, yeah, it was on Monday night. Just huge impact. By the way, I'm going to mention one quick thing. Trump did the rally. In addition, the RNC sent people down to North Carolina, a huge door knocking, letting people know the election's coming, reminding them to get out and vote. A lot of what they did was to to get that turnout. Folks, this is going to be happy our effort in every district in this country in 2020 to turn out the vote. We have to get people inspired to come out and turn out the vote. The GOP won both special elections that were going on, one by more than 12 points. But in Cumberland County, 35% black. Trump lost it in 20,000 by 2016. The Democrat won it in 2018 election that was then set aside. And the GOP candidate, Dan Bishop, won it yesterday. This is big. Blexit and the favorable economy for minorities are real factors favoring Trump in 2020. The Dems cannot win without a monolithic black vote. Just maybe, could we flip the House in 2020? And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk. That's my show for today. I'd love to hear from you. I actually saw I have several emails, people asking to talk about specific things related to Islamic threat in America. I will get to them. But I love hearing from you. America Can We Talk uh, is my email address. I, I have America Can We Talk at gmail.com. You can go to the website, americanwetalk.org. I implore you, if you're on Twitter, uh, please follow me. If you're watching us on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, please like the page, please comment on I love your comments, I try to respond. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Love to have followers. This is, my whole show is an enthusiastic conversation about the love for the goodness and greatness of America. And I do the show because America matters. Talk to you tomorrow. Talk. Truth about America. Can you hear?